Welcome to Change the Narrative. I'm your host, J.D. Fuller. I'm Susie Younger. An African-American licensed psychotherapist. I'm also a licensed therapist. We talk about the isms. We talk about the phobias. Anything that marginalizes and oppresses. As a white woman, I ask the questions white people are too afraid to ask. Everything we are not and everything we are is because of fear. Through a mental health lens, Susie and I will have difficult conversations with celebrity guests, political activists, and everyone in between. Our mind will tell us whatever we want to believe, but the truth lives in the body, and that's where change occurs. Are you ready to change the narrative? Our next guest is going to knock you out. You probably don't recognize these digits, D854-105, but our next guest does. They are the patent numbers for the first patent ever for a punching bag since 1800. This badass entrepreneurial fitness expert has managed a way to take out her mental energy, anguish, anger, sadness, anxiety, fill in the blank in the fitness game and the creation of skulls, the first double end punching bag. Chris Jackson Baldwin is passionate about changing the fitness and empowerment narrative, and she is kicking some butt on the way. She uses her tough love and can-do attitude to manage physical health, and she is not playing. She's also a wife, an author, and JD's personal close friend. Welcome, Chris Jackson Baldwin. Pleasure. Thank you guys for having me. Baldwin. What's up, for? You owe me some push-ups because, you know, we're getting late, started late right now. Your ass owe me some push-ups. I'm going to get to that, bro. At the end of the show, end of the show. All right, back to business. Focus. All right, focus. You know, that's a challenge. Um, <laughs> oh, I know. I, it's been too long. Too um, but I want to go back to come forward. So I want you to think about your childhood and think about what was the theme of your upbringing? What would it be? It was very strict. I grew up in a strict household, but I broke every rule that I could break. Got my ass beat for it. But uh, I lived a rebellious life I, from the moment. I. That's not a surprise to hear that that's the theme. Strict and rebellion. So talk about the transition into the military, how that changed the direction of your life and what you learned about yourself. I want to say that I've always pretty much followed my intuition, like whatever that little voice is that we have guiding us. I knew that had I gone to college because I went to a parochial school and it was college prep and I was in a party. It was the seventies. I was partying. I was smoking weed every day and <laughs> drinking forties. And they took us on a tour of Kent state. And I just like, it smelled the whole campus smell of weed. I was like, Oh my God, if I go to this school, I already know I will probably waste my mother's money. I don't want to hear her mouth. Let me just, I decided to go into the military. So it gave me the discipline I needed. It gives you a sense of purpose and honor, and it teaches you about integrity, which I do believe that this is, should be in school instead of prayer. This is the things that they should be learning in school about discipline, about honor, about back in the day, it was your word is your bond. I don't even hear that term anymore. Yeah. So that's pretty much I'm, I'm glad I made that decision to go into the military. It took me all around the world. It gave me an appreciation for even though this country is got its issues. I'm glad to be here. I've lived in right. several different countries. So, yeah, that's I think that's a great perspective for us to hear, because right now I'm hating America, but we'll get into oh, that. Absolutely. Yeah. You said something about what the military gave you. I'm wondering were you heavily recruited or did you go and mm -mm. 
No, I sought it out. I was like me and my buddy Dave were the only two at the time Mm -hmm. out of my class. I had a very small graduating class of 40 kids and two of us, everybody else went to college and Dave, he went into the Marines and I went into the Navy. I took an ASVAB test and they told me I could choose anything I wanted to be. My dad had been in the Navy. I almost went into the army, but I became a cryptologic technician after just picking through the book. Hey, guys, like just pick something after I took the test. So that's what I did. Just followed that. Wow. And so I learned that I'm supposed to say thank you for your sacrifice instead of thank you for your service. So thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you. Appreciate that. All right. I'm going to change gears a little bit and get into finding your birth family and how that how finding them informed your journey, because that was yet another shift. You went, you know, military out and then you were just setting your life up and then you found your birth family. So talk about that. Some odd years later, I was given up for adoption at the age of, I think I was like four or five. My brother, maybe I was, oh, I'm sorry. I was given up at the age of three. My brother was one. I was adopted at the age of five into a black family. My mother's white. My dad was black. And that journey really didn't begin because I I think in the beginning, I was satisfied knowing that I was adopted and do I need to know who this woman was? You hear all these things. She was a prostitute. Mm -hmm. She was this, she was that. And so for a long time, I wasn't really concerned or even interested in in searching, even though I, I think in the back of my head, I always knew I would find her or search for her. Okay. And it wasn't until I watched The Journey of Man by a documentary by Dr. Spencer Wells that I decided, oh, let me do this National Geographic DNA test. They were doing like some genome study or something like that. So I sent my DNA in and I found out that my DNA traces back like 40,000 years to the Middle East, like the second migration out of Africa. You have years where it's like it's ebbs and flows where you want to find her. You don't want to find her because I went through that. And then once I took that test, though, I was like, OK, I'm getting closer. And then when Shelby and, and I decided to get married, today is our five year anniversary. We decided to do the ancestry test. And then the ancestry test popped up my dad's people. And from there, my brother found my mother on Facebook and it became a whole big episode after that. So, yeah. Yes, yes. And I just followed it. Let's just see where this goes. Even though I knew she was a manga and and our relationship was going to last. I knew that from the beginning. Yeah, you did. But I pursued it and see where it went. And, uh, you know, now we're not talking. So. <laughs> I want to get into the politics of it a little bit, but I also want to know just, you know, mentally and emotionally, how it impacted you to, to be on that ride. I mean, you weren't sure you wanted to find her. Then there was this whole honeymoon know, like, period. Right. It yeah. was a honeymoon period. It was like a roller coaster ride. Right. It was a roller coaster ride. But what I've come to understand is, and I want to thank my friend Spirit Corley out there, who put things in perspective that some mothers are just birth canals. They're not here to nurture and bring you up and do all that. They're not obligated. As a matter of fact, I believe that, you know, I understand it. But I came here and connected with the birth family that I needed to connect with. And so my mother was just the channel for me to get here and for me to do the work that I came here to do. And so I appreciate that. I appreciate Mm -hmm. her giving me life. But outside of that, I'm good on her. Good. Yeah. Look, you're saying a couple of different things. You know, you and I have 
process this a little bit. The idea that you have to grieve. You have to grieve what you did. It was hard because you're being abandoned twice, right? In one lifetime. Are you kidding me right now? And what I thought we had reconciled now is now like it's a fresh wound. And so, yeah, I grieved and then I gave myself that opportunity to grieve and then I let it go. And I I feel good about it. I feel bad for my brother because he's he's more hurt than anything because she never connected with him. But that's how it is. He gets me. He's got you and that. That's more than what he needs. I I also feel for him that his experience is different than yours. I understand Mm -hmm. that he's got to go through his own process. And I appreciate the perspective and the fact that different people in your life have been able to give you additional lens to look through to understand this is what it is right now. But for you to name and be able to say, hey, I had to grieve. I had to reconcile the abandonment twice. I mean, that's All all significant to name that and process that. So right on. So we can't talk about that journey with the birth canal without talking about what's gone on politically in this country over the last, over the years, let's not even say the last few years. What do people not understand that you believe they should know politically? That the psychological warfare that we're going, that we like, we're immersed in it. It's everywhere. Psychological warfare is serious right now. And and because I have an intelligence background, I thought that I would be able to recognize some of it. But because it's gone digital, you don't see it until recently. Now I understand like some of the stuff on Facebook. It's all psychological warfare. They're doing these PSYOP operations to test uh, things out on our behavior. What what are you going to click on? And they know now that negativity is going to drive traffic. Negativity, keeping us at each other's throats, is going to make them more money. And it's just that is what's it's like embedded in the code mm-hmm. of those algorithms. There's surveillance. I mean, there's so much. That's a whole nother show. Okay. Uh, fair in enough. and of itself. However, I encourage people to turn off the news. Turn it off. Get your news from a legitimate nonpartisan source. There's people out there really speaking truth to power. I I get security briefings that I can see what companies are being hacked and that kind of stuff. Immerse yourself in that stuff and how to counter propaganda, how to counter some of the PSYOP stuff. And that is what I did on Facebook. I spent about two hours deleting every light page, every corporate page, every, any page that they asked me, to, whether it was AAA, whether it was this page, or they want you to like all these companies and these brands and this, I unliked everything. I unliked all the, the news things. And now my feed is just filled with people like you on my feed. I don't get anything oh, from wow. Fox news or uh, Breitbart. I used to get a bunch of crap from Breitbart on these feeds, even though I'm not, I've never clicked on a Breitbart link, but the algorithms are designed to get you to look over here. Okay. Let me click on that because every time you do, you're going to, you're going to pay Facebook, Facebook gets paid. So, yeah. So that's one. Yeah. It's the, it's the clickbait. All right. So you're saying something really important here. And I want to make sure that people understand because not everybody has the same access to understanding the negativity you're talking about. And mm-hmm. people are drawn to it. I follow on social media. I follow a lot of activists. And I, I don't think that's negative. I feel like I get accurate information from them. Um, 
and I and it seems like in real time, but I've never been a follower of the news. It's so whitewashed and so mm-hmm. corporate. I mean, how, how can the news be informative when they're paid? It's, it doesn't make sense to me. So that's curious. But you're saying something else about the negativity that I think is important and that the psychological aspect of being fed the fear. That's what I hear mm-hmm. you saying, the mm-hmm. fear. Like they're, they are out to get you. That's what's yes. being said. They are out to get you. Right. Yes. And, and that tactic has been used and so, for, for a long time. You know, Nixon is the one that put it into his campaign. The Southern strategy is all about negativity. That's it. Make black people look bad. Make you them know, look like criminals, druggies. It works. Yeah. The thing I can't get out of my mind recently is how Hitler looked at enslavement the the base of enslavement the strategies used to inform what he did yes i don't understand how that's lost on people (laughs) because it's not taught to people if you didn't recast by isabel you're not going to know that because i sure as hell didn't know it until i read her book but it takes it is about education that's why i love that i follow the zen education site i've been following them for a really long time because they are teaching truth those guys are educating people about untold history in this country stamped from the beginning by ibram x kinde is another one that gives you that history in such a way that it's an eye-opener the things you thought you knew but you actually didn't know that's one of the things that i think is super important for people to understand that little nuance Absolutely. Hold on. Just one second. I, I, my internet's acting a little shady. One second. Okay. All right. So you said something about, you said cast was one of the things that informed you. What was the other thing? I missed it. No, that was a, that was an eye opening book for me because now you, I'm really good at connecting the dots. And when she connected those dots between what Hitler did by studying how the, the laws for slaves and how the Jim Crow laws, they studied all of that. They studied the Jim Crow laws and then came up with their own way of how to treat the people that they wanted to oppress and commit genocide against. Yeah. That's a, and, right. And they, now it, that mindset has spread all around the country. I remember when I was driving Uber when it first started years ago, and I picked up a woman, a, a South Asian woman from India it, in my car. She's informing me that the darker Indian women now are lightening their skin, trying to be lighter right? because colonization has just spread all across the world like that people want to be white are, are you serious right now I, look, I was like they're doing the lightning cream like other people are doing lightning cream i was like oh my gosh but yeah, yeah that's the psychological impact of having people hate themselves to a point they're trying to change the co- complexion of their skin it's deep yeah. Yeah. That's been going on for a long time. The whole cast. Long system. Time. It's so deep. It's so deep. There's such a depth of self-hatred that you don't want to see who you are in the mirror. It's so sad. Yeah, all right. Yep. You've been taught to hate yourself to that degree. It, it plays itself out in so many different ways. So I feel you on that. Yep. So let's segue into the mental health as a distraction to gun reform. I know you got something to say about that. Oh my God. That's the excuse they're using right now. That right. he was mentally ill, that mm-hmm. he was bullied in school. Give me a fucking break. They say that all the time. As long as the, the domestic terrorist is white. Or mm-hmm. as long as the domestic terrorist is killing brown and black people. Mm-hmm. 
they're going to always give you that excuse. Yeah, always that excuse. You and I texted about this the other day. Mental illness is a problem in America. Let's just say that. But every time someone murders, they want to say it's a mental health issue to distract from potential gun reform or potentially getting out of bed with the NRA. How do you think that is translated for people? How do people buy into that? What are your thoughts on that? People are sick of it. Right now, we, the American people are sick of being held hostage by a minority of individuals being paid off to let gun holders do whatever they want. Trump came into office and pretty much wiped out. He like repealed the Obama's legislation or whatever his policy was on getting these guys, what do you call it? They have to have background checks or they had to have for mental illness, you could not get a gun or you had to have extra steps. Trump came in office and repealed that. This is intentional. This is intentional by white society. These white, scary men are afraid of losing power. So they think they really honestly believe that enough lone wolves can go and just kill up everybody, that they stay the majority. I don't understand it, but they like it because they make money off of it. Yeah, it's all about capitalism. All about capitalism. So that's the bottom line. Yeah, I agree with you. All right. I want to talk about your past year. You have had an unbelievable past year. I don't even think there's a word big enough for the past <laughs> you've had between the pandemic and right. life events. There's not, I don't even have a word that's big enough to be honest. Right. With you. It was, it was um, horrific. It was a hell of a ride, man. So it's a great transition to talk about your book, fight goddess fitness, beating the odds, a caretaker's journey, a story about cancer, chemo and caretaking. I need right. you to talk about it. Oh yeah. Pretty much it was, Uh, I had to do a lot of self-reflecting. I had to do a lot of checking myself. I had to, I I just knew that my wife's life was in danger and nothing, there was nothing more important than that. It was an emotional toll that I've just never experienced before. You think grieving somebody that's passed is hard, but grieving what you're partner is going through at the time they're going through it when it seems like they're not going to make it is just the hardest thing I think I've ever had to go through. You've known you a long time. You're the type of person who's like, you know, I remember when I got my knee replacement surgery and they weren't giving me enough PT. And you were like, I'm coming over. I got some bands. We're doing this. We like that. Right. <laughs> like you, you got me in the flow, even though I wanted to punch you out. You know, you, you pushed me, you got me there. And I really thought about that when, you know, Shelves got the diagnosis. I really thought I was like, how is CB going to pull that out with the potential emotional toll? And I, how could you both not be scared of what was ahead? Yeah, so, right. What did you employ? You're not into religiosity. Mm-hmm. What did you employ to be the core, the foundation of her support? We went into fight mode. And one of the reasons was because... I loved her doctor. Usually I'm very critical of doctors, but he set the tone. He never told her that she was in stage four and he looked at her straight in the eye and said, you can beat this. And he put that, once he planted that seed, we knew that she was going to have to go through this. In the back of my mind, of course, I'm fearful that my wife could, this, this chemo treatment's not going to work and she could pass away. 
Mm -hmm. Um, But we went in the fight mode and we wanted to give her every, I wanted to give her every opportunity. So I did some research. I like called my folks, like, let's, what do I need? And um, so I put a little regimen together. My friend Roz helped me with the uh, supplements because she has a friend that owns a health food store. And I walked out of there, a big box of stuff, but essentially it's battling, combating the effects of the chemo. Because the chemo, once you take the chemo, she's good for a couple of days, but it's the side effects. It's the stuff that comes after. That's the hard part that drains and weakens you. So once we went into fight mode, you're going to go like this. You're in fight mode. uh, And then you're going to hit a wall. And that's, and we would have, we'd sit and cry because she's in so much pain. I hated to see her like that, but then we get up and do it again. And so you just go through the motions and you don't think you have the will, but you do. So we that's amazing. kept pushing. You guys are definitely role models in the community for getting through it and getting to the other side. I have nothing but respect for love and respect for both of you. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you. What did you learn about yourself, your wife and your marriage through that journey? That I I realized I had a moment in the kitchen. I hate doing dishes, but I had a moment in the kitchen where I I came to the realization that all the twists and turns and everything that I did in my life, fucking up and doing this, coming to Cali, and it was so that I could be for her at that time. Man. And I felt that through my bones. Because like I when before I met her, like in the story, I knew that had I gone to Palm Springs, I was going to meet the woman I was going to marry. And I felt that in my gut. And even the, and I knew it was meant to happen because when I said, okay, no, nah, maybe I won't go. Those parties are too expensive. I'm not paying $60 getting to a party. And my buddy was like, yo, I need you to roll with me to Palm Springs. And when she <laughs> said that, I was like, oh, it was meant to be. I know I'm going to meet the woman I'm going to marry. And that's sure. That's exactly what happened. <laughs> That's a great story. Yeah, that's great. And so now that you have come through this, what are you standing on? What's holding you up now? I'm right now. I'm very grateful. Every day I wake up, very grateful to be in the space that we're in. Gratitude really propels me along and I'm focused on the next half of our journey. We just turned 60. I just turned 61. Yes. Well, what's, what are we going to do? I'm in semi-retirement. So let's plan that chapter and live the rest of our lives like we want to live, because that to me is freedom. Yeah. Living like you want to live without anybody telling you what to do. That's why I work for myself. Yo, so talk about the Rocco recovery. <laughs> <laughs> it took me four days. <laughs> This this four-day Rocco birthday recovery. Well, I was like, one minute I was fine, JD, and the next minute it was like when we were at that party with the first star. Here, one more. <laughs> oh, it was uh, sad. It was pathetic. Yo, your picture, that I was dying when I saw this. You were like, <laughs> me walking by Rocco's. <laughs> That was the best. Okay, that was uh, okay. (laughs) All right, so let's talk about your various projects before we wrap up. First of all, talk about how skulls came to be the boxing bag that I love. Talk about that. Make you a new one because I've revised them a little bit, but it came to be because I was working out in a had I was working with my fighters in in a gym in Burma. A guy from Quest Fitness, guys make those Quest Fitness bars. Yeah, right. Okay. They had created an equipment training division and their 
sale, well, know, one of the guys came in and he had this head in his hand and it was like a plastic head, but it had a handle on the inside and it was shaped like a dude's head. Mm-hmm. And he wanted us to test it out. And I looked at it right away and I could see because of the way the handle was situated inside this head that's empty because it's a and you hit it and it digs in a little bit. Okay. I could tell him that right now you're going to break somebody's wrist with this because you can't, you shouldn't be holding anything like this as somebody's punching. They're punching, you're holding it like this and the people are punching it. So I told him he should, right away, I started giving him. <laughs> and we struck up a conversation. I told him, I didn't say I was an inventor, but I said, hey, I got an idea for a double end bag. And I went home and I scratched it out on a piece of paper and made a prototype and I sent it to him and he offered me like a thousand dollars. Let's just say it was a very insulting fee for this licensing deal. And I was like, you know what? I could do this myself. <laughs> and I, I hired a patent attorney. I found one cheaper because he was in North Carolina and we went to town. We went to work and got that patent. So it took a couple of years, but we made it happen. OK, so you got to talk about how you made it, because I still can't get over that. Tell, tell people how you oh, actually made it. How I actually made it was the first I had to look for a 3D skull file that I liked because the skull face mattered to me. And there's a bunch of ugly skulls out there, but I found one and I had to buy a 3D printer. So one of my clients bought the printer for me as the 3D printer. I had to make the mold with the 3D printer. I made the skull head. And then I had to do a couple other things to get it the way I want it, shape it, all that stuff, kind of stuff. Then I made a mold out of it. Then I use the, cause there's a, there's a special effects place in Burbank that I pick up all those equipment. They make special effects, all those bricks and stuff you see that look like bricks. They're really not bricks. They're okay. like this foam material. So I got the foam. I had to find which foam to get. And then I just kept building and building. And then I, the one first head was big, like life size, big, like your head. Okay. And, then, <laughs> and then the other one, I was like, okay, that's too big. So let me like pare it down a little bit. So yeah. I, I pared it down to the size it is now, which is about equivalent to a regular double end bag. And then I put funky designs and tattoos on them. I made a Bruce Lee one that sent it out to my friend. I've made a glow in the dark one for a couple mm-hmm. of friends. So yeah, you could do any. That's what I like about it. They're like customized, but I had to make a couple of adjustments in terms of the, the steelware, the hardware that's on there, but it's a pretty good bag. No, it's it's a great bag. It actually is a great bag. It's a great workout. I'm impressed with it. That story blows me away every time I hear it. I'm like, you did what? Where? Yeah, I learned how to make the mold I, on YouTube. I, I can't even. I don't even understand the language you're speaking when you talk like that. Right. All right. So let's get to a couple more things before we wrap up. Talk about your workout mentality as a trainer. What is it you want to get across to people? Activity is more important than anything else, and what you eat because. As we age, our digestive system changes. Things that I ate years ago, I can no longer eat. They make you bloated or you can be allergic to this or allergic to that. So I encourage people to continue to tweak their diets till they find something that works for them. And for women over the age of 50, I always encourage them to eat a lot of fiber, add a little bit more protein, stay away from sugar, fat, all that kind of crap, Mm -hmm. uh, processed foods, and just stay active. That's the, you know. So when you are, 
when you take a client on, are you dealing with the nutritional aspect as well as the physical workout? Sometimes I'm not a nutritionist, so I can't give you nutritional advice. I can recommend things to you. So I have a list of foods that I recommend that they build their meals off of. And there's something on there for everybody. And so one of, I gave one of the, I gave that list to a friend of mine, LGBT Hollywood, Renee and MJ will talk. And, and my, and Renee has lost like 30 pounds. She's in, she's like, Chris, I have not been this size since I was in my twenties or 30. She's wow. in a pair of jeans that she has not worn in 15 or 20 years. That's amazing. That's amazing. And she's a vegetarian. That's what I said. So the list has something for everybody on there, whether you eat meat, whether you're vegan, whether you're vegetarian, you can use that list because it's just all good, healthy, low glycemic foods. And in terms of what a person's physical capacity is, you assess where they are physically and then Mm -hmm. you you help them get to where they want to be. Absolutely. I did that today. So the guy a doctor of what? So I'm training his wife. And then she was like, you need to stretch my husband for an hour. Okay. I could stretch it for an hour, but I need to give him assessment first. And then when I assessed him, I mean, he's got a lot of postural distortion. So I'm not just going to stretch you. I told you needs, and he's been working out for a year. He's lifting weights on top of bad posture on top of horrible forms. Shoulders are like this. And so I told him and right away, he was like, how come we're not working on my hips? I'm like, because you got some other stuff going on we need to talk about. (laughs) Once I started talking to him, he realized he's like, okay, you're right. It's like, dude, your core is weak. I gave him just a basic old assessment, a squat assessment. He failed it. No, he didn't fail, but he gives me an idea where he is. And so uh, it just helped me. And then he did get the stretching, but it was a lot later into the program. Okay. All right. That's great. All right. So final, well, yeah. Two more questions. One, talk about the L Project, what's coming up. Oh my God, I'm so excited. I'm like thrilled. The L Project is, Elizabeth Sandberg was our founder. She started in 2015. And it's an art and tech focused organization for LGBTQ BIPOC. Uh, We're BIPOC focused for emerging artists. But I created Women's Freedom Festival in 2019 just to celebrate the emerging artists in our community. But now our, and to raise awareness around domestic violence and certain other uh, social issues. And now we, with this current political climate, Women's Freedom Festival is going to honor Melanie Nathan with the Women's Freedom Award because she literally is running an underground, modern day underground railroad for LGBT folks trying to escape being criminalized in their home country. So we're trying to raise awareness and uh, amplify those voices that are really fighting for full freedom and mm. equality because we we don't have full freedoms and equality and until we do we got to stick keep on fighting so we're part of pride this year i'm excited about that the city of west hollywood has co-sponsored this event you guys can check us out at vlproject.org you can follow us on instagram at l project la and twitter too we're on twitter yeah. That's what I was going to say. Okay. And then tell everyone where they can find their training needs at uh, Fight Goddess. Go for it. Fightgoddessfitness.com, baby. Come see me. <laughs> or hit me up on Instagram, Fight Goddess Fitness. I'm on Instagram. Okay. Fight Goddess Fitness. Mm-hmm. Okay. Fight Goddess and Fitness then that's fightgoddessfitness.com. Yeah. Okay. So final word. What is, what, how do I want to phrase this? We always talk about changing the narrative. That's how we end every show. Mm-hmm. So talk about, 
what changing the narrative means to you. Cause you have a lot of, you have a lot of different irons and a lot of different fires. So I want to pull it together and collectively, right. think about, um, you know, right, right now I'm like distraught by what's going on. My thing with the put with the DNC is recruiting candidates that are fighters because the DNC likes to get candidates that want to ride the middle of the line and be everything for everybody. But our democracy is under attack. So we need people fighting for our constitutional rights. And so in my head, changing the narrative means that Sherilyn Eiffel says we cannot leave power on the table. You have to vote. I don't care if your vote is suppressed. I don't care if you live in a gerrymandered district. You need to get out there and exercise the little power that we have. And collectively, it's a big power. And if we do that on a local level and continue to do that on the state level and then a national level, we can push these stupid ass MAGA knuckleheads out of office. Okay, so wait, let me add something to that before before we, we end. My question is, what do you say to this group of people who are saying the two party system isn't working? We need something else. What are you saying to them? You right can't now? change the two. We we operate and vote in a two party system. So either you join the Democratic Party to turn that party the way we want it from the inside out. Or you join a third party that hurts the party that is trying to that we can actually manipulate and we can change. And if you've seen that, the progressives, Bernie Sanders, the socialists, the Democratic Socialist Party, they have gone into the Democratic Party and they are changing it from the inside out. And we have to continue to do that. We have a two party system. I tell people this all the time. There's no voting third party. You want to help the minority party, you want to keep them in power, then keep voting third party. Okay, voting third party is a waste. Voting third party is a plus for MAGA heads, for Christo fascist people that want us locked down. They want to lock women down. So that's what, you know, it's the Democrats are no way. And then the, the, the other thing is that you have to give a little bit of money. Like people have to get yes. into the mindset. And I've donated to every um, five dollars, whatever you whatever. can. I mean, that that's what the conservatives had. They will give money to keep control. And, and they sure like, will. Don't want anything to do with the politicians and sit back and don't realize it takes money to fight. Exactly. You gotta exactly. put some money in Exactly. All right, buddy. Of course, we're not done. We have stuff to do together, but it's great spending time with you. Thanks for coming right, on. You know, I love you, man. All right. Thank you guys for having me. JD and I want to thank our fabulous producers at IM Music Group. And for all of you out there who want to do your own podcast, go to IMMusicGroup.com and the team will hit you back. Please be sure to like, subscribe, and follow wherever you get your podcasts. And also, leave us a review. Let us know what you think. Thank you for listening to Change the Narrative with JD Fuller. 